A reading from the letter to the Hebrews. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made by human hands, a mere copy of the true one, but he entered into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself again and again as the high priest enters the holy place year after year with blood that is not his own, For then he would have to have suffered again and again since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the age to remove sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for mortals to die once and after that the judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. This is the word of the Lord. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. Glory to you, O Lord. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, thus it is written that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And see, I am sending upon you what my father promised. So stay here in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Then he led them out as far as Bethany and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he was blessing them, he withdrew from them and was carried up into heaven and they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they were continually in the temple, blessing God. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Pray with me. May the words and meditations and conversations of all our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and redeemer. Amen. Friends, we are in the Easter season, which is a good reminder that uh, we do not celebrate the resurrection of Jesus just on one Sunday, but we dedicate an entire season to it. And this Easter season, we've been making our way through uh, the Apostles' Creed and looking um, at this confession that we make every week together. Um, it's really this thumbnail sketch, right, of Christian belief based on the story of Jesus. And this morning, we come to the part where we say that Jesus ascended into heaven, and he is seated at the right hand. And I don't know about you, um, but I, I think we're, well, I'm going to assume that we're more alike um, than not here, because otherwise I wouldn't make this point. But when I get to this part of the creed, it's usually when my eyes actually begin to glaze over. It's the part that feels most distant, it's, it's, it's sort of otherworldly and kind of unbelievable. And I know Tuck uh, was up here last week, and we were talking about the resurrection, and he said, 
The resurrection of Jesus is the hardest thing for us to believe. I want to steal that and say that, no, I think the ascension is the hardest thing for us to believe. Because we don't believe that God just raised Jesus, but that he lives presently, like bodily. He is somewhere. (laughs) He is in heaven. That is what we confess. But where is that? Up? Um, As a sort of a side on on this, um, back in the 60s, so I've been told, um, the Soviets developed uh, propaganda around them being sort of the new world superpower during the, the space race. And one of the ways they did this was they sent around an astronaut around their country saying, we have been up. And there is no old bearded God, God up there, much less any Jesus. The ascension of Jesus is, as one New Testament scholar put it, a mixture of visual marvel, strange metaphor, and utter mystery. And it's a mystery that really expands our imagination as Christians, and one that I hope we'll be able to get into a little bit this morning. And yet there's another reality that I think makes this confession particularly hard. And it's this, that the church struggles to live with Jesus in the present. Right? This is the part of the creed where we actually move from past to present, if you will. We've spent the last several weeks looking at the past, right? That God has entered our world in Jesus. He's taken on flesh, born of a virgin Mary. He took on our weakness, suffered under Pontius Pilate. He was crucified, died, and he was buried Then he was raised, and it's an amazing story, and I think we would like to leave it at that. And yet the truth is that Jesus' life didn't just end with death, but it continues into the present and into the future even more powerfully. But it's this present that we especially struggle with. Because, right, the church, we don't always... We, we confuse his agenda with our own agendas, our own cultural agendas, if I could put it that way. We confuse his desires for our world with our own sort of disordered desires that have been shaped more and formed more in the brokenness of our world. And, and then personally, we also struggle with this because it actually means adjustment for us. It means that we can't ignore Jesus. We can't leave him on the pages of history. He is present to us even more powerfully than he is and was to his disciples. So this morning, I want us to think together, what would this look like for a community to live well with the reign of Jesus? What would it look like for us to live well with him in the present? We, we gather every week, again, I will say this, to confess this. So what would it, how would it actually impact our shared life together? That's what I want to look at this morning. And I want us to consider these questions as we look at this, our gospel readings. Um, and it's around this moment of Jesus' leaving and his ascension to heaven. And the first thing I want us to see is this. The ascension of Jesus creates a receiving community. Okay? A receiving community. Luke records this ascension moment twice, actually. So at the end of Luke and then at the beginning of Acts. And it's this pivot point, right, from Jesus' ministry on earth to his ministry in heaven. And he's prepping his disciples for what this will mean for them. So it's also a pivot point for the Christian community, the community of faith. Jesus is now leaving their midst, and they are now called to take up this idea of being witnesses. And so at this pivotal point, Jesus is recalling all that he has said about him being the Messiah, 
right? His life, his death, and his resurrection, and all that that means in between. And if you're familiar with the Gospels, to any, really to any length, you, you know that that's like a major theme that's kind of running throughout, is that the disciples just don't, can't quite get the whole Messiah thing. Sort of at every turn and twist, they have ideas for the Messiah that the Messiah himself does not have for his call. At every turn, the disciples seem to want to get ahead of Jesus. I think of Peter, right, the uh, ambitious disciple who on the night of Jesus' betrayal acted a little bit presumptively, pulls out a sword, cuts off the guard's ear, right? Favorite story for third graders. And now here the disciples are, Peter included, and they have just dined with the resurrected Jesus. I want us to pause just for a second here. And think about what would we do or what would we want to do with the Messiah if he has just been resurrected in our day? This is news. So we would get him on the news. Get him on Anderson Cooper. Get Barbara Walters out of retirement. Get him on Oprah. Maybe have Mel Gibson direct a movie. Oh, wait. (laughs) We... that's what we would do. We would turn Jesus into a spectacle. We think that the power would be in his popularity. Because isn't that what you do? You put on a parade to showcase your power. But that's not what Jesus does here. And that's not what he has in mind for his disciples. He's about to leave, and he tells them to wait. To wait for the power from on high. Jesus, of course, is speaking about the Holy Spirit here. And this isn't news in, to the disciples because they've, Jesus has told them that he will send the comforter, the advocate, and that will be better. And we'll get into that next week. That's when we get to that part of the creed, and it's on Pentecost Sunday, so I will not say much about the Spirit. But I will say that it's, I think this, to understand this, this moment is essential if we are to have any kind of idea of what it means to live well with the reign of Jesus. And it's this, that to participate in the kingdom requires a receiving posture. Open hands. It's actually saying that we don't achieve the kingdom, but that we receive it as it's come in Jesus. That he has a heart for our world, and he actually wants us to take his heart into the world as we go. And so the ascension creates a receiving community It also creates a restorative community. Even at the moment, this moment, that Jesus is about to ascend and is ascending, the disciples still hope, just have that last little bit of like, maybe this is the time that God will finally restore the kingdom to Israel. Right? If we actually looked at the Acts account, that is what we see the disciples doing. They're asking, is this the time that the kingdom will be restored to Israel. And it's the question, I think, that we continue to ask in our day as we try to reconcile our current experiences with what we believe God will be doing at the end of time. And Jesus, is this the time to make things okay? To make things right? Okay. Jesus says, and I want to admit this, Jesus says a lot of cryptic things. But this is not one of those cryptic things. He actually is pretty clear. We do not know 
the time and the place when things will be fully restored. It's not for us to know. And maybe this is sort of like an obvious point to support this, but there's been a lot of people that have tried to predict that throughout history, right? This is the date, this is the year that some version of the kingdom will happen. And not a single one has been correct. And that is good because they are some crazy people and they've made people do some crazy things. But why am I pointing this out? Because even at this moment where we begin to talk about the reign of Jesus, that he is seated at God's right hand, that he is ruling over our world, this moment is still situated for the Christian in a moment of trust. It's not in a place of knowing all the answers, but it's still attached to this promise that one day all will be made right. We do not know when God's reign will be restored in full, but we do know that we are called to be a restorative community. And this is what he's telling his disciples to. He's sort of redirecting their attention. You will be my witnesses, proclaiming repentance and the forgiveness of sins. There's a lot that we could talk about and say about what that means. That is packed full. But for these next few moments, I really would want to just actually think about how the ascension in particular, Christ being ascended and in the presence of God, actually changes the way that we see one another, and it really enables us to be a restorative community. So let's, I want to read from here from the Apostle Paul, because I think this is, this is all throughout the New Testament, actually, in ways that who Jesus is right now changes how we see one another. And if you have those eyes and we're reading through the New Testament, you would see this sort of everywhere. Well, this is one spot. The Apostle Paul says this. From now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view. Even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view, we know him no longer in that way. So if anyone is in Christ, there is new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. Okay, think about that for just a moment, how radical that is. What is Paul saying? From the human point of view, Jesus' life was a failure. Everything that he did led up to the point of him being crucified and even being mocked for his failure, right? The sign above his cross, here is the king of the Jews. This is not how the whole Messiah thing was to go down. But the ascension flips that narrative. The ascension shows that this was actually the path to victory. So we want flashy strength. That's what we want, and that's often what we look for in one another. But Jesus gives us the well-worn path of weakness. That it was actually his self-giving love that led him into our greatest place of need, which was death itself. And so we no longer can look at one another from a human point of view. Weakness is not a waste. We get near one another's weaknesses. We go to the places of need because that is how and that is the way that the kingdom is coming in our midst. This is what it looks like to live out this call as witnesses. 
But how are we to do that? I want to sort of ask that and just kind of talk about that a little bit more. Uh, for the last four weeks, there's been uh, about 12 of us um, going through training with Redemption Housing. Um, Redemption Housing is this organization here located in West Philly, and you've heard uh, a good bit from them in the past because, or these past few weeks because we took up an Easter sacrificial offering for them. But this um, Redemption Housing is an organization that's helping uh, formerly incarcerated persons re-enter society, and they do this through a number of different things. Um, but one of them, you know, one of the main things is through mentorship um, and then also connecting them to churches. And so that's what our church has been going through for these past four weeks is a bit of a training on what does it look like to welcome and maybe even receive uh, these uh, persons into our community. Because the studies have showed that actually church involvement reduces recidivism dramatically. Recidivism is the rate at which somebody might return to prison. So church involvement decreases that dramatically. And so anyways, getting to my point here, one of uh, our, the, the directors, Lori Banfield, has been leading us through, this, through these last four weeks, and she really is a pretty remarkable person. She's a, a psychologist, um, a psych teacher over at uh, Esperanza College. She's a pastor here in West Philly. Um, she's obviously also on the board of directors with Redemption Housing. So she's doing a lot and really an amazing person. Anyways, what she's been helping us see and sort of do is cast this vision for what does it mean to understand ourselves as people who are becoming, who are in process, and not just as individuals, but even the church as God's people in this time where we are waiting, and yet we are moving towards the fullness of Christ. And she finished up our training this way, this past week, on empathy. And this is what she said. I'm going to read it twice, so don't worry. Usually when quotes are read, I usually I don't catch much of it. I'm going to read it twice, okay? And this is what she said. I've come to realize that to be fully human is not to know everything and not even to understand everyone, but rather to have the mind to walk with another in spite of all of that. I've come to realize that to be fully human is not to know everything and not even to understand everyone, but rather to have the mind to walk with one another in spite of all that. And I find that especially helpful because when I see weakness or I think about moving towards weakness, my hesitation usually is, I'm not going to have the answers. I'm not going to understand their experience. And yet that's not really the call. That Jesus actually invites us to walk with one another in spite of that. And um, I, I sort of want to make just sort of a, a side comment here. <laughs> when moving towards weakness implies that also that somebody else is going to see your own weakness. Or maybe there's this sense where we need to understand what it means to receive um, help. We too need that. And I think there's a lot that could be said there. I also want to say that I think that can get worked out in the process of moving towards people. That you don't have to um, have your stuff completely figured out to move towards one another and, to, 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 and towards others. That in that process, actually, it can get worked out of what 
does it mean for me to receive help as well? This is and can be quite difficult uh, work um, because it, the ascension really does create a community where restoration, where forgiveness and repentance can get worked out. And that leaves us often, and it can leave us very tired because we realize that we deal with some heavy stuff. And so what I want us to, to consider lastly here is that the ascension not only creates a receiving community and a restorative community, but a rejoicing community. At our community group meeting this past week, we ended up in a discussion on joy, which I thought was quite fitting because I had already th been thinking about this point. And we were, uh, and someone said an extremely helpful comment. Joy is the thing that hangs just above you. It's just a little bit out of your reach. And I thought that was an amazing way to describe joy because that's how we so often feel that it is just out of our reach. That in a sense, like we are, we are weighed down by our suffering, physical and mental, by our shame, by our loneliness, by our past, and it is just outside, or even if you've experienced some sense of success, you know in those moments that it's still just out of reach. If I can recall the words from five years ago, Don Draper on Mad Men, what is happiness? It's the moment before you need more happiness. So what are we to make of the disciples' joy in this ascension moment? Because we see here that after Jesus leaves, they leave with joy. But before we think that's just some like, I don't know, oh, yay, Jesus, it's happy. Remember, these are the disciples who feared for their very lives just weeks before. They were hiding in a room because they were associated with Jesus and they were worried that this would get them into trouble like their lives in trouble. They were the persecuted minority, and now they possess this powerful joy. I want to suggest that this joy has everything to do with the temple, or Jesus as our great high priest, which is how he is present to us now. Who were the high priests in ancient Israel? Right? They were the ones that managed the temple. And what is the temple? I wish I could draw it for you, but the temple was this representation of God's presence in our world. Right? Quite literally, it was set up so that you had the inner sanctuary, heaven, and you had the outer gates, our world. And only one person could go in there, and that was the high priest. Because the heaven was the source from which all of love and justice and righteousness flowed. It was the source of all of that. And the temple, oh, I should say, once, once a year, on the Day of Atonement, the priest entered the Holy of Holies with the blood of a lamb to make atonement for the sins. All the things that kept humanity from experiencing the life of heaven the priest would go in and he was wearing a robe and the names of Israel on them. 
on that robe. It was to carry the people to a place that they could not go. This is exactly what the New Testament and the gospel writers have in mind as they talk about Jesus' move into heaven. That when Jesus died, right, the curtain is torn in two. The Holy of Holies is no longer separated off. All that keeps us from the experience of joy and life has been removed, has been lifted. Joy, the abundant overflowing life of God is not just out of our reach, it has actually come down and taking on our suffering and our sin and has been raised up. And this is the story that really and honestly seems sort of too good to be true. That this has happened and that this is true of us. But it's the story that we gather together each week in one another's homes, in coffee shops, wherever have you we remind ourselves of. And it's the story that we gather on a Sunday morning to rehearse and to remember. That the things of this life that keep us from God's joy, overflowing life, heaven, are not, the things that keep us are not ultimate. But what is ultimate is that our brother Jesus has taken up our humanity and gone to that very place. And this comes together beautifully in the Lord's Supper that we celebrate each week. We write, we remember Jesus' presence with us on earth, his breaking of bread and, his, and, break, and sharing of wine, the sharing of his very life. But he is in heaven. And that is where he is present to us now. And so we lift up our hearts. I cannot achieve that. I cannot remove the things that hold me down. But it is mine because Jesus, our Savior, is there. That Jesus has our hearts. So we gather and we celebrate. We actually celebrate the Lord's Supper. Not just because life is okay. But because we know that Jesus has our hearts. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Lord Jesus, we struggle to trust you as we wait and await the fullness of your kingdom. Would you meet us as we continue in our worship that we might know your presence to us, that it is a presence that is secure, that it is a presence that is real, and that it is a presence that gives. Meet us, we pray, in the name of your Son. Amen.